Orphan Black, the next chapter, is back for season two, and it's bigger than ever. The official continuation of the hit TV show stars Emmy Award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany as all of the clones. And this season, she's joined by original TV show cast members Jordan Gavaris as Felix, Evelyn Brochu as Delphine, and Christian Brune as Donnie. Season two picks up where season one left off with, spoiler alert, the secret of the clones finally exposed to the general public. Hundreds of previously unaware clones grapple with the news that they are part of a massive military science experiment. Meanwhile, anti-clone protesters fight to have the clones' rights restricted. Caught in the middle, the Sestras want peace, and when an unforeseen threat turns their world upside down, they must join forces with former enemies to protect the ones they love. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is available right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. Welcome to the Sundance TV house headquarters. My name is Tom Powers. I'm the curator of Doc Club. I also documentary programmer for the Toronto International Film Festival and artistic director at Doc NYC, the country's largest documentary festival. It takes place in November in New York City. Uh, this is the second of three panels that Doc Club is doing here at uh, Sundance TV House. The third and final panel takes place on Wednesday at noon that's called Documenting Celebrities. Uh, it has the filmmakers from Best of Enemies, Kurt Cobain, uh, 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 Listen to Me Marlin, and Being Evil, and um, maybe one I'm forgetting. Uh, so do, if you're in town on Wednesday at noon, um, please think about coming back here. Uh, Doc Club, if uh, you've never heard about it, it's uh, been around for a few years. It's a uh, SVOD platform, kind of like a boutique Netflix just for documentary lovers. Uh, we have hundreds of documentary films on that site. They are selected by curators, including myself, uh, other people like Sundance programmers, Ira Glass. Uh, we have lots of new curators uh, coming on board, guest curators coming on board uh, this year. Um, uh, 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 as a tie-in to today's panel, on February 1st, we're putting up a new selection of films uh, for Black History Month, including uh, several of Stanley Nelson's films, one of our guests today. Uh, another film I'm really happy to be getting up on Doc Club is... Um, uh, Chisholm 72, a film that was uh, about Shirley Chisholm that was at Sundance uh, several years ago by Shala Lynch. Uh, it's been uh, really hard to uh, find that film, and, uh, and it's going to be up on Doc Club uh, starting in February. Um, if you want to know more about Doc Club, you can go over to uh, folks there who can sign you up. We've got a 30-day free trial offer. You can cancel at any time. And you can watch Doc Club on uh, your uh, iPad, your uh, iPhone, your, uh, through Roku at home on your computer. Uh, all kinds of devices and um, and more coming uh, soon. So thank you uh, very much for being here. Uh, in order to uh, introduce my panelists, I'm going to bring them uh, up to stage right now. So uh, panelists, uh, come up to stage, and then I'll uh, introduce you uh, when, once you're on stage. Come on. You sit on the end, uh, Liz, Dawn, you can put you on the end, Liz. I'll put Dawn here. Lyric can go there, Stanley here. Um, uh, I also want to thank uh, the uh, uh, Black House uh, organization that uh, is always doing great stuff uh, here at Sundance. I saw Bricks and Diamond uh, over there from, uh, from Black House. Uh, thank you very much for, uh, for co-presenting uh, this panel today. So uh, our panelists uh, all uh, have uh, films either at Sundance this year or in the past. Uh, Stanley Nelson uh, sitting next to me 
is here with the Black Panthers, Vanguard of the Revolution. Dawn Porter next to uh, Stanley uh, was here two years ago uh, with her terrific film, Gideon's Army. Uh, she also made the film uh, Spies of Mississippi and uh, right now is working on the film uh, adapting the book, the, the New Jim Crow. Um, next to uh, Dawn is Lyra Cabral uh, with her film made with David Sutcliffe, Terror. Uh, a really terrific one. And uh, on the end is Liz Garbus here with her film, What Happened, Miss Simone, about Nina Simone. So, um, uh, you know, there's a lot to, uh, to talk about uh, on this panel and uh, on this topic. I, we were talking before, and I know Stanley is fired up and, uh, and, and ready to go. Um, but uh, before we get into, uh, you know, I definitely want to talk about, like, what are some of the, the challenges to... Uh, to telling stories about black lives, to gain them out to audiences, to gain funding. Before we jump into that, let me get each of you just to talk a little bit about your uh, specific film that you're, you're here with today. So, Stanley, let me uh, start with you, uh, your film, uh, Black Panther's Vanguard of, of the Revolution. Uh, you, do you want me to talk about what the film is or challenges? Yeah, if, yeah uh, just start with a praise of, of what the film is. And uh, Black Panther's uh, Vanguard of the Revolution is... Uh, two-hour film that tells uh, the rise and fall of the Black Panther Party. It's the first film uh, that really, in any way, comprehensively tells the story of the Black Panthers. Um, we have a lot of people who are in, in the Panther movement, cops, FBI agents, all that are in the, in the film. Um, uh, footage, a lot of footage and stuff that's never been seen before. Uh, and I think it really changes, uh, for most people who see the film, the image of, of who the Panthers were. Uh, Don, can I get you to ask? Can, can I get you to talk about um, the film you're working on now, uh, the new Jim Crow? Um, uh, who's on? Oh, um, while making Gideon's Army, I obviously became really um, kind of obsessed with criminal justice issues, and as a follow-up to it, um, I was really kind of drawn to a more comprehensive story about how we are, how we got to where we are today. And I think one of the seminal books that explains the, the social political history of the criminal justice system and its impact on black lives and people of color is Michelle Alexander's New Jim Crow. So uh, I've gotten some development money from Ford and Kellogg. Um, it's a character-based film, but um, it will also kind of show, tell the historical story of mass incarceration and how it has developed. Uh, Lyric, tell us about uh, the film Terror that you're here with. Um, I like working on issues exploring the intersections of race, surveillance, and um, freedom of religion after 9-11. And so Terror is the first film to place filmmakers on the ground during an active FBI counterterrorism sting operation. Our main character is an African-American and Puerto Rican member, former member of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, who for the past 22 years has been working with the FBI counterterrorism informant. And so the film really follows him through an investigation in Pittsburgh. And Liz, uh, what happened, Miss Simone? Uh, uh, sounds like a lot of people know what that is already, but uh, but for those who don't, tell us about what it is. Uh, what happened, Miss Simone, is a film about Nina Simone, the you know extraordinary performer, artist, activist. Um, the film came to me through her daughter, who um, had you know for many many years they had been very protective and uh, refused a lot of proposals um, and wanted to kind of keep the legacy. Uh, kind of quiet, and then at a certain point, because of a variety of other influences, felt ready 
um, and felt like the story needed to be told. And um, you know, with her and through her, we we made this film, What Happened to Simone, which um, and the title is derived from a, uh, an essay by Dr. Maya Angelou, who poses the question in 1970 when when Nina left the country after the civil rights movement, or her, in her view, you know, in the, so it was falling apart and she just wanted out. Um, Maya Angelou is talking about that that moment in her career. So Stanley, I want to turn to you for a little uh, historical perspective on uh, documenting black lives, um, you know, w what it's been like telling those stories. Uh, you know, as I think about this question, I think about pioneers like William Greaves and St. Uh, Clair Bourne and Henry Campton, uh, who aren't here with us anymore. Wh when you were uh, starting out your career, you know, what was, what was that like? Um, you know, I, I have to say, I, I, I owe a lot to uh, uh, William Greaves. Uh, uh, my first job in film was with William Greaves. I just knocked on his door and he gave me a job. I actually lived with his family for a year and a half. Uh, and that's where I got my start. Um, so I, I owe a lot to him. I think, you know, at that point when I started out, and this was mid-70s or so, there, there weren't a lot of black filmmakers. There weren't a lot of uh, films being made about black people. There weren't a lot of historical films at all being made about African Americans. So, you know, it was a real opportunity to make films. You know, I, it, it, was, it was very hard getting funding. It's still hard getting funding. I, I think that, uh, you know, that's what we do. I actually went into filmmaking um, at the time because there were a lot of films coming out of Hollywood. It was the black exploitation era when, you know, we saw, you know, Superfly and, and uh, Blackula and those kind of films. And a lot of the films were about pimps and hustlers, you know, and, uh, and uh, prostitutes, you know. And, and I, I didn't know that, that, that world. My parents, my father was a dentist and my mother was a librarian, and I'm, I'm very happy to be able to say that, you know, that's, that's the, what I represent. And so, you know, that, those were not the people I, I, I knew, so I wanted to, I felt it was really important that uh, people tell their own story, that African Americans tell their own story, and that's how I got into filmmaking. Uh, Don, can you talk about your own uh, pathway uh, into film? It wasn't a, a direct one. Um, my background is I'm a lawyer. I practiced law for seven years, and then I worked for ABC News um, as a, a director of news standards and ethics and practices. Um, and actually what really propelled me into trying to make my own stories, to tell my own stories, was I, w I was working at A&E, um, not in the indie film group, and uh, when I was watching what was coming out on television that was getting really popular, it was just what Stanley was saying. It just had morphed from fiction to quote unquote reality. And I thought, I'm not seeing the full depiction of stories that I think are actually out there. Um, and I, I wanna add to that. So I, I started, um, I thought a little bit of hubris that I could, I can do this. How hard could it be? Well, it's pretty hard. Um, but, uh, you know, started shooting, um, and I shot for a year. I would get a little bit of money, go shoot until, you know, Julie Coldman and some great producers and people came to really help me. But um, it was really, my desire was to, to contribute to the stories that we are telling, which are, I think, more representative of actual black lives. Not that, you know, there, there's a full representation to be shown, and I wanted to add to the, the side that Stanley is talking about. Uh, Lyric, a question I want to ask you, you know, we see, we've seen a wave of filmmaking that, um, that is about perhaps celebrating black historical figures that, uh, that have uh, been previously excluded uh, from, the, from the record. Um, 
in uh, the case of your film, Terror, you're looking at a former Black Panther who now works as an FBI informant. Very complicated character. This is not a black and white story. Uh, this is a shades of, uh, of gray story. Um, can you talk about you know, th uh, those challenges of, 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 uh, of, of representing complicated characters? Yes, well, um, my, my production company is called Story Seldom Seen. I'm very much drawn to stories that have not been seen in the media. I personally don't believe in, you know, doing a film that has been done before. That's just my personal interpretation. So as far as seeking stories that have not been seen on screen, you know, the experience of the African-American informant is one that need, is ripe for, for exploration. Um, I don't know that it, it's public knowledge that the African, you know, that the FBI has used historically African-Americans in service of surveilling other African-Americans. And so, yes, the man's story does live in shades of gray, but I think, um, you know, because of the bodies of work that have been created about the African-American experience before, like, the, like Staley's Black Panther film, you know, there are points of reference now that his story, I was able to pitch it and get funding, and funders were more receptive to this new articulation of a black man's experience in America because Panther films have been made and there's now a comp for my story. Even though it's slightly different, had there been no point of reference, you know, it would have been much more difficult to fund this story. But because I can say, oh, it's kind of similar to, you know, because William O'Neill, who's another African-American informant, was featured in Eyes on the Prize, I could reference that. But it's literally like if this history hadn't been told on screen, I would have had an extremely difficult time sort of providing funders the context for why this story was needed. Um, so we're going to open the door on uh, questions about uh, representation. Uh, Liz, taking on a subject like Nina Simone, uh, it could have never been lost on you for one second. Uh, uh, you know, t t some of those uh, thorny issues. That, you know, there's been a, a fiction film about Nina Simone, Long in the Works, that uh, had its own um, uh, storm of, of, of controversy. Uh, talk to me about you know, uh, you know, taking on that that subject. Yeah, I mean. Uh I think because, because it started with the family um, and there was a lot of trust there, um, we were kind of, we were operating, I was operating on a place, like from a place of like hearing, hearing from, from Lisa, Nina's daughter, you know, her truths about her life and kind of working with her to, to really um, explore that and, and put Nina's body of work in the context of the life that, that she led and, and where she grew up and her, her awakening to activism. Um, you know, Nina's childhood, her, her sort of evolution journey as an artist was not, I think, what most people expected and, and what they knew. I mean, she was, um, uh, you know, well, many of you who have seen the film, you know, everything in, her, in Nina's life was, was, was a contradiction. Um, but we, what we started with was Nina. Um, I, I, I searched um, really around the world and we found you know, about 80 or 90 hours of Nina telling her story. And um, uh, you know, especially because of the Zoe Saldana um, controversy and what I was hearing from the daughter, what you know, our mantra was in the filmmaking was let, let it be you know, as unfiltered Nina as, as possible. You know, of course the music and letting the songs play, but also having Nina narrate her own story. Um, and we were really fortunate to find all that tape um, that had never been heard before. So um, that was kind of my guiding, you know, my guiding principle was Nina and Nina telling her story to the extent possible, especially in the face of the Zoe Saldana film. And then we didn't interview a lot of people talking about Nina. We had a few intimates, um, you know, neighbors from growing up, her guitarist of 42 years, um, and her daughter, you know, talking about her life. 
Um, so, uh, Stanley, w w before this panel began, uh, <clears throat> we were having a, uh, a side discussion, and um, and uh, you were talking about, you know, a uh, strongly felt feelings you have about who gets to tell black stories and, and who's traditionally been able to tell those stories and, and the need to, uh, for blacks to tell black stories. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that, that's, that's one of the things that I, I, I believe, you know, with all my heart and being is that, you know, people should tell their own stories. Um, that's how I got into filmmaking. That's why I got into filmmaking. I feel that, you know, um, black people need to tell black stories. You know, a Latino people need to tell Latino stories. Asian people need to tell Asian stories. Now, can anybody make any film they want to? Yes. But I think that there's a, a certain assumption among white people that, you know, being white means that you are a blank slate and that you can tell any story. Like old blood, huh? like the old blood, it goes to everything. <laughs> yeah, like, right, like type O blood. So it's this blank slate, and so you can tell a film, you can make a film about anything. You know, I mean, I would not be so presumptuous to say I wanted to make a film about a Jewish cantor. I would not want to make a film about uh, an Irish singer who is seminal to the Irish culture or, you know, something like that. So I, I think that that's really important, you know, for, for us to, to think about and talk about. I've gone for funding, and, and we went for funding for the Panthers. I was told by someone who's funded a lot of our, our films, well, are you sure you're going to be objective enough on this one? Okay, now anybody who's seen any of my work knows that that is what the work is about, is about being objective. But uh, all of a sudden, when it was doing a film about the Panthers, there was a feeling that I, I wouldn't be objective enough. And I think that that comes from me being an African-American man. I've been told by, by people who uh, give funding, a commissioning editor, that they didn't want to see films you know, by black people about black people or about Africa. They wanted the films to be by white people because they wanted that interpretation of our culture. And, and I just think, you know, in very general terms, you know, um, when you're tell, if you're telling a story about, about African Americans and you are not an African American, you're skimming across the surface. You're not going down to the bottom of what it means to be black. There's thousands and thousands of decisions that are made on a film, literally a thousand a day. You know, am I gonna cut this shot there? Am I gonna do this out here? A thousand a day. All those decisions are, are based on who you are as a person, the culture you come out of. I come out of a black culture. It's impossible for somebody white to understand what it means to be black in America. It's impossible, okay? And it's impossible to understand that I come out of a culture that came out of my parents' culture, right? My father grew up in Washington, D.C., so I'm coming out of that culture. I'm coming out of his parents' culture, who grew up in rural Virginia as black people. So I think it's really important that we tell our own stories. We run uh, Firelight Media Producers Lab, um, where we work with filmmakers of color, um, and those are black, Latino, Asian uh, producers, Hawaiian producers. Um, we worked with, with Dawn on her film. Uh, Mississippi, we, we worked with Terror, or, I mean, we worked with Lyric on Terror. I'm we not a Terror, terror in the lab. Terror on Lyric. Uh, we we Lyric on Terror. We work with a lot of people. Uh, Lloyd Limbaugh, who directs the lab, is here. If anybody of color wants to talk to her about, about their documentary pro pro process, we've been very successful. But that's kind of the fundamental piece of what, of, of what I believe and why I got into filmmaking. 
Don, as a, you know, a, more of a newcomer to this field than, uh, than, than Stanley, um, what was it like for you, uh, you, you know, what were the support mechanisms that were there and what wasn't there, you know, was there something, every, every documentary filmmaker faces hurdles of uh, funding, distribution, did you think that there were extra ones and, and what were they for either you as a filmmaker or for the story you were trying to tell? Well, um, I mean, we all know how difficult it is to raise, so sometimes, in some ways it was good that I, what I didn't know was good because maybe then I wouldn't have tried. Um, so I spent a year before anybody was like, you know, going around by myself, carrying my tapes in a bag and borrowing edit time and trying to get to the place where I could even apply. So the first funding I got was Tribeca All Access, um, so for women and filmmakers of color, and that was transformative because then it kind of catapulted me into this world with a lot of people who could give me advice. Um, so it's really critical for those kinds of programs to be available so that there's an access point. Um, and you know, Gideon's Army had a, a, a lovely trajectory, but so supported by Sundance Institute, you know, um, eventually Ford Foundation, um, but that takes a lot of pushing. So for my second film, you would think, you know, you have a successful first film, it's gonna be a lot easier. Well, I wanted to tell the story of um, African-Americans who went undercover for the spy agency in Mississippi. I couldn't get any money, not a dollar um, for that. The, the money I got was from Germany. They, like, we like spies, so like, they gave me money. <laughs> Um, and it was only with the German money that I could tell. And so what I, what I definitely respond to in Stanley is I, I think there's room for lots of voices. I, I probably want to tell stories about white people at some point if I can crowd through all the other white people. But, um, <laughs> but I do think that me telling the story of why black people might be, might t you know, spy on other blacks I, I think I came at it differently. I think I came at it from, uh, my family is Robeson's. Um, Paul Robeson is my, um, Ben Robeson is my great-great-grandfather. You know, my family was spied on. Um, I think that, you know, the civil rights movement needs a complex history that draws on some individual experience. So, um, I don't know if that answers. So, uh, Lyric, you um, went through the Firelight uh, uh, program. Um, what were some other kind of, you know, crucial, uh, you know, for, for other filmmakers in, in the audience, you know, what were some of the, 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 the assets that you had as a first-time filmmaker? Well, um, similarly, I think institutional structures for first-time filmmakers are critical. Um, I've always been the type to seek out mentorship, and I'll shout out Dawn here to my left, because Dawn was critical. Dawn, I was paired with her through Tribeca All Access, and what it was is I was set up first-time filmmaker situation where you're navigating fiscal meetings, you're, but you're being placed in the situation for success, but no one is equipping you directly. No one is giving you the means, no one's saying, here's how you pitch. And all, as you know, um, I think this has been articulated, pitching is always different when you're a person of color. You know, I, I pitched at IFA at the main forum, I was in Amsterdam when there were like literally Negroes all around town. Culturally, they had just had a celebration where everyone was in blackface. This happened a week before I came there to pitch. You know, those are the latent things that there needs to be institutional support for that because other filmmakers didn't experience that pressure stepping on stage to pitch. You know, literally I'm walking from my hotel passing this, but other filmmakers of color warned me about that. 
You know, so that, this is like what I'm talking about, about institutional structures, because filmmakers of color, veterans who are willing to share are really the only thing that can facilitate success for young filmmakers of color. Because unfortunately, I, I have found, like I've been through IFP, been through Tribeca All Access, um, been through the Sundance Labs, which were incredibly supportive. But you know, just to find personal support from, from veteran filmmakers like Stanley and Dawn in the Firelight Media Producers Lab, which really engages in these critical conversations and offers support. You know, all of these funders, yes, they have funded the film, but I am convinced that you know, some filmmakers of color have given me beyond, like really personal tips for success that can only like have come from what to wear, what to wear, <laughs> what to you know, just it, what to do if you're getting nervous, what to do if your funder who's interested in your film is not making eye contact with you because they're not used to sitting and dialoguing with people of color. That's something they don't teach you in school. That's something only filmmakers of color who have been through the experience before, you know, elders who are willing to share that advice, and I really seek that out. It's so, so critical, you know, and I seek to be the person for younger filmmakers who offers this level of advice because I, you know, had it not been for the producer's lab, it really would have been tough. So <clears throat> Liz, uh, you know, Stanley talks about you know, black filmmakers telling black stories. Another iteration would be of uh, women filmmakers telling women's stories. And, um, and so talk to me, you know, as a white filmmaker making a film about a, a black woman subject, um, you know, what... What did you do to try to you know, bridge that gap between your own experience and the, and the experience of your subject? Well, I mean, like I told you, we really, we, I mean, as Stanley says, you're making 10,000 uh, decisions a minute, so your subjectivity is always there. So. But I also, I mean, the mantra was to, to have Nina telling her story guide the storytelling, and that felt to me like the right way to approach the story. You know, I'm also not, I mean, Nina's, Nina's life was, had, had many influences, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I do feel, I know Stanley and I, you know, we had a debate about this in, a moment ago, but I do feel that Stanley would make a brilliant film about Bobby Fischer. Like, I think that he's a genius storyteller filmmaker, and because Bobby Fischer was Jewish and had his own anti, you know, issues around anti-Semitism um, in, inform his, his sort of decline at the life, I, I, I mean, I, that, you know, I, I, Stanley says he, he wouldn't and he doesn't but I think Stanley would make that film brilliant. Um, so I suppose, you know, in working in partnership with the family, you know, I've, I've, I've made films, I've made a bunch of films that have had both black and white subjects all my career. Um, I know Dawn, when, I mean, I, I, I guess I feel uh, that a, a man can make a film about a woman and, and, and I, I suppose I feel it, it's staying true to your story and checking yourself and uh, having great partners. You know, I had an integrate, I had a, my producer is African-American, of course I was working with Lisa's, uh, with Nina's daughter. Um, so it's just, you know, keeping it real and being honest and being ready to have these conversations. I'm here now. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess the proof is in the film and in the experience of the film. Um, but I think there's a larger structural economic question, which um, I think you know is not about my particular film. It's about what he's saying, and that I appreciate. Um, that you know, I took resources that you know, if they had approached an African American woman filmmaker like Lyric to tell the story, what would that film look like? You know, you know, it's very complicated, and that's why I'm here to talk about it. You know? I, I think there's something though to what draws you to whatever film you make. You know, and I think if, you know, one of the most influential films for me is The Farm. I mean, so... Um, the Farm, which I should say for context, is a film that Liz Garbus made with Jonathan Stack about Angola prison um, uh, in Louisiana. In fact, it's, uh, we're going to be showing it at uh, my Stranger Than Fiction series in New York City uh, in February, if you go to stfdocs.com. It was uh, in March. Mar 
I'm really excited to show that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was nominated for Academy Award. But go on, Don. I, I think that it's important to think about why a filmmaker is drawn to a particular story. Um, we can't know anybody's particular history or what, how they grew up or who they are or what draws them to a story. I think though what Liz is saying, it's an uncomfortable truth um, that we should talk about, which is would they have given Lyric that much money to do a beautiful okay. job on? Right, right. And I don't know if well, that's what you say, were let's saying, say, but let's say I mean, but if yeah. I, I've also made you know, Lyric is coming to it as as a new as a right. new. So don't say Lyric. As a, so, so, so let's say, say you or Stanley. Stanley, right? Not me. Yet. Uh, I think they. I mean, look, look. I think they would give. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe you know. But I, I, I think I think that you know the, the issue is not you know on your film. It's not, it's not, it's not about it's your film, and I think you stated that really well. You know, it, it, it's it's about the structural it's it's yeah. structural economic and structural racism, and and that's what's important. I mean, you know, I, anybody has a right to make any film they want to make, and I want to be clear about that. I'm not saying you don't have a right to make a film. You have a right to make a film, and what makes the the this whole issue so complicated is that in very general terms, you know, white people are the people with access to the power. And so if white, if every single white person, you know, filmmaker said, okay, I'm gonna make a film on the Black Panther. If white person made a film on the Black Panther, it would be very different from the film I made, right? If, every f if, if all the white filmmakers make film on black subjects, which was what was what happened, was is what's happening, and you know. Then what does that say? Then that becomes a different issue, and so that's what's complicated about it. Yes, you have a right to make a film uh, on Nina Simone. I've heard the film is great. I, I just haven't had a chance to see it, but I've heard it's great. That's one thing, but if you add it all up in the aggregate, you get what's called cult cultural imperialism, which is somebody else telling our story. And so it, 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 on, it, it, on one level, it makes sense. creating the full record. Right, creating the, the full record. And what happens is, so, you know, I, I, Ken Burns isn't in the room, is he? So I've call, I'll call Ken Burns out. I mean, so Ken, Ken's Bird, Burns made a series on jazz, which was like 18 parts or whatever. When Ken Burns made jazz, he said, you know, I, I was interested in making this film because I didn't know anything about jazz. Ken Burns was quoted as saying, if black people hadn't invented jazz, somebody else would have. You know, and that's a total misunderstanding of jazz. Now, is jazz good? Is it a good? I don't know. I don't care. You know, and so that's that's what really that that's what makes this whole thing complicated. You know, could I go after after jazz came out? Could I go and say I want to make a film on John Coltrane? They looked at me like I was crazy. You know, everybody who was making a film about jazz at that point had to say, okay, well, we'll just put that on the shelf for ten years because Ken Burns has done it. And so that's, that's what I'm talking about. There's this structural piece that Ken Burns can walk in to mobile oil and say, I need you know, $10 million. You know, there's very few African Americans, there are none, because I don't, I don't have a number of mobile oil, who can do that. And that's what I'm talking about you know, in, in, in the much more general sense. You know, it's not, again, about any one filmmaker making any one film, because you have yeah, a right except to Except Ken Burns. Except <laughs> Ken Burns. Well, I mean, he doesn't make one film. He makes 14 hours Burns. on everything. But, but the point is that we're not operating in a vacuum. And as uncomfortable and as difficult as that is, it's just the truth. So if some people have access to the money and the access, it is, uh, it is something to, to think about. And th the other thing to think about is where's the pipeline and the opportunity for people coming up so you don't only have Stanley doing historic black films. You know, you don't only have one person pigeonholed as doing one type of story. I mean, I think we want to tell lots of different stories. So, but you have to get experience in order to do that. You have to have the ability to work. 
So that's what we want is the ability to work. And, and, and in very general terms, you know, we work on films about us. You know, you know, and even if it's, you know, as, a, as an assistant producer, or as an associate producer, you know, Ken Burns hired a bunch of, of black people to work on jazz, and they did not work on the next one. You know, and that's how it is. I mean, that's where we work. If anybody here is, you know, it, it works in craft in the industry, if you're an editor, assistant editor, you know, look at the films you've worked on, by and large. By and large, they're films about us. That, that's kind of how it works. I just want to add that, you know, documentary, this medium is often celebrated for access. And if you're a filmmaker, you honestly have to have a conversation about yourself. Because of the body that you are in, there will be limitations to your access. And I think one, coming up for me, one of the most brilliant documentaries is Two Towns of Jasper by Whitney Dow and Marco Williams. Because I think that was a very conscious decision that those two filmmakers made that was very genius. They wanted to document the two sides. It's a film by a white yes. and a black filmmaker. Yes, Marco, One's yeah, kind yeah. of telling you know, a white side of the story in, in a town where with a contentious race issue, and the other goes in the black side of town and tells its story. Yeah, so James Bird had just been drugged through the small Texas town, and these filmmakers wanted, knew that they wanted to tell the full story of this hate crime. And Marco Williams, who's African-American, knew that he, he would probably most likely get better access to James Bird's family. And Whitney Dow had the foresight to say, you know what, I can go get the families of the men who were accused of this hate crime. And neither side told, you know, like Marco Williams, he didn't tell his family of James Bird that his partner was filming. And I, we employed this technique in terror, actually. Like, the fact that we have, you know, it's a biracial, our main character is African-American. We're featuring a target who's white, who's a white Muslim convert. And just by virtue of the bodies we're in, Khalifa, who's the target, felt more comfortable with David. The informant felt more comfortable with me. And we Your directing had, partner, David, yes, we should say, is a, is a white guy. Is my co-director who's white. And we knew these limitations just because we're not in post-racial America. We knew that these things are actual realities when we go to film in certain communities. And we had the foresight to sort of preempt that. And we, I would shoot certain scenes just so not to make somebody feel uncomfortable. We knew automatically he would sh shoot certain scenes just because collectively we would get better access. So, you know, I think it's an honest conversation that filmmakers need to have. You cannot access everything, quite simply, and you should aim for the best access if you're trying to tell a story in a medium that celebrates access. You know, I also want to talk about um, the product. I mean, Gideon's Army is not a black film, but it's, unless it's because it's by me and um, so that everything that, you know, comes from me is, but... Um, I do think one of the, you know, I, I did a keynote at the IDA um, conference, which they're going to do a lot more of these conversations for filmmakers. And one of the points I made was we live in such a segregated society, schools, places of worship, our work. So our images of other races are coming from media. And so you want to have people who are cognizant of what they're putting out there. So I was very conscious of showing... Um, the lawyers in Gideon's Army as people, as, you know, I don't think I made, like, got on a soapbox about it, but the subjects, I think, were full human beings. They weren't, it wasn't just a criminal. It, the lawyers are full human beings. And I can't speak for a white filmmaker, but that was so centrally important to me. It informed all of the 10,000 decisions that you have to make. That was always at the front, is that these people have to be people so that people can connect with them. Yeah, I, th there's a really interesting article. I guess it came out yesterday in BuzzFeed. Uh, they talk about Panthers, and, and I think they talk a little bit about about uh, uh, the Nina Simone movie. You know, all, all in a good way. But but the whole kind of slant of the article is being black at Sundance. You know, and what it means to be black at Sundance and go in those rooms and see a film like The Panthers or like Nina Simone, and and you're like one of four people in an audience of 400. And I just want to say that that is the black experience, and that's something that we as black people, that's that would be one of the big differences. I would I would wager that most white people in those rooms don't even notice 
and and black people, that's everybody you see. That's the first thing you see. You that's the, the first thing you, you know, do the notice. Nod. Every single yeah. black person in this room, they're all laughing because they've had that conversation that there's no people of color at Sundance. But my point is that white people don't even notice that. And because that's what they're used to. You know, and that is just one of the differences in how we see the world. And that's part of what goes into all our decisions, you know, in making films and in who we are. It's just, you know, and, but it's, it's, that, it's that, you know, hundreds and thousands of times a day. Uh, we've got a microphone uh, to go around. If you uh, have a question, <clears throat> raise your hand and, uh, and we'll bring it to you. Right here, uh, this woman in blue. Um, so this is not a question, it's more of a, of, of a reflection. Um, and this actually is um, based on you, know, you, you saying that the daughter, Nina Simone's daughter, approached you um, to make the film. Um, you know, it's interesting. It, automatically, it made me think about the decision that you know young people of color make all the time when they're choosing colleges, right? Like, you know, do you go to an HBCU, a historically black college university, or do you go to you know a white institution? And more and more, we are choosing to go to you know if we can to go to a Harvard or a Brown or whatever, right? Because the idea is that everything will be that much better, right? It will be that much greater versus going to a Howard or a Spelman or a Morehouse, even though those are very reputable institutions. And I think the cumulative effect of all of this is that we don't believe in ourselves. White folks don't believe in ourselves, right? So, you know, lots of times the families of whoever will approach a white famous filmmaker, you know, or will think of that person first because the assumption is that this will make the, the greatest film. And again, this is not about you, and that's why I'm, I'm making the comparison. No, and I respect to, that, but I the, think it also has to but, do with but let, let, some let me, let me just for films that I've made. Sure, no, and again, it's not like about it's, you. I'm, I'm yeah. saying, and, I, and I'm even bringing us into the equation. We're making the decision ourselves, right? So we are choosing not to support some of our own institutions on a daily basis because we have also bought into the fact that white is better. Right, and so we, in, on some level, believe it, you know, and white folks certainly believe it, you know, and so the cumulative effect of that, not just in film and everything, right, is extremely problematic. Can I, can I add, add to that? I mean, I think it's what happens all the time. So it's what happens when, when, when a black filmmaker, a uh, filmmaker of color, finally gets the money to make a film. So now you've gotten the money to make a film, it's your first film, and you're looking around for a camera person. Well, the only experienced camera people are white. You know, and, and it's your first film. Are you going to take a chance on a, on a black camera person who may not have a lot of experience? So that's who you hire. Now you're looking for an editor. So the only people who have, who have edited major films are white. So, so, now, so now you hire somebody. I mean, and it goes all the way down the line. And that's, and that's just part of the structure. And that's part of the structure that, that you know, we've got to battle through and we've, and we've got to fight. Um, you know, and are those bad decisions? I mean, you know, it, it's not either good or bad. You know, it's your first film. You want it to look good. You want to get a good camera person. And there's just not that many black camera people have experience because nobody hires them. You know, it's very hard. It's hard to get work. It's hard to get work as an African-American editor. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose our editor, you know, who's edited the last couple of films that we've done because he's going to go on to make a lot more money than I can pay him. But I, I don't know another black editor, you know, who's, who has that experience. I just don't. You know, because we don't get the experience because we don't get, in very general terms, hired. Now, you know, and that's not an argument with any of the white filmmakers in here. You say, oh, I hired a black person. Yeah, you did. 
but it's it, we're talking about we're not talking about you. We're talking about structurally what this, what's happening in the wider, bigger system and, of telling our stories. And, and then the question that follows from that is, why does that matter? And it matters because um, you know Liz has a substantial body of work that is representative, um, but that's not everybody. And so you want to have people in the room who when there's a call between how to represent, there's very subtle things that I think we all try and do in our work. I think you wanna try and have people in the room who can give you a gut check and who can say, that's playing on a stereotype or did you mean to suggest that? And those are hard conversations to have. Um, so the more that we have people who we trust, who are experienced, who can be in those rooms, I think the better product we will have. I mean, it, it boils down to finally, you know, we, we need to have more people of color, more women in the industry, you know, in the documentary and the industry. executives and the funding levels uh, right, also, right, which is right. like when you're talking about that eye contact thing, you know, I mean, what happened at the New York Times with the Shonda Rhimes thing, that's because there are no African-American editors in that, in the culture department, right. and uh, there was nobody reading it that way. So it has to do with, with that that level as well, not just the craft people. Right. And, and, and I, I just think, you know, again, we have to just be aware of, of, of the industry and what it's been and, and how we can make those kind of changes and make changes where more and more people of color are able to come in and tell their own story because I, I think it's meaningful. I think it's meaningful that we tell our own story. You know, we, you know, our, 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 the people that we work with mainly um, on, on Black Panther's uh, Vanguard of the Revolution, African American except Rebecca back there, raise your hand, Rebecca. <laughs> well, who is the associate, edi associate editor, editor of the film. But, you know, um, you know and, and part of it is that, you know, as I say to people, you know, when, when, I, when I go home in the evening, uh, you know, the offices are, 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 in, are in the bottom floor where, where I live, they're there every night. They're there. I mean, Rebecca, you never see anybody work like those people. They're crazy because this is an important story to them. This is a story that means really something to them beyond, okay, now I'm gonna do the next story is gonna be on this or that. You know, it's very, this is a story, we get very few chances to tell our story. And we, we take it, you know, it's, it's very important that we tell it right. I mean, it, you know, I lose years off every film I make. <laughs> I do because I, you know, I, I, I'm telling our history and people are looking over my shoulders, you know. We got two microphones out there. Uh, first this woman, then I'm gonna get bricks in and well, I'm from, can you hear me? I'm from Rochester, New York, and for every black person here especially, I was taught at a very early age that black, quote, is beautiful. And yes, it is. I mean that in such a sincere way. I want you to know that I've been sitting here, and all these folks just right here in this little corner, including my friend here, we have all bonded, and they are just the greatest people I have ever met, and I don't care if they're purple, green, blue, or whatever. They are humans, and they are people. Now, I, I said I was from Rochester. Now, one of the biggest headlines that happened in the news was about Trayvon Martin, and this was, I'm sure you all know his story. The black I just get ask you a quick question because we want to get a lot more. Okay, well, what I want to know is this was a brilliant opportunity for a black writer, filmmaker, or whatever to pick up a story. Do you think in the future there will ever be a story on Trayvon Martin and what happened to this young boy? 
I'm sure there will be. I mean, there's I mean, a story. There's, no story right now, there's, a, there's a film here, exactly. three and a half minutes, that, that tells a very similar story. Um, you know, I mean, every story is different, but it, it does tell a similar story. Which, of course, is there'll, there'll be a, a, you know a, a film about Trayvon Martin and, and the whole thing. But again, three and a half minutes is here that also tells a story of, of a young black man being killed, you know, for no reason and and. Uh, Brixton. So again, Brixton Diamond from the Black House Foundation. And we came here nine years ago because we'd been around as sort of admirers of film and filmmakers and not seen enough black people, and much less much representation on the screen, and have had pinnacle moments at the festival where there have been huge representations, and we almost called it a black festival in some years, tongue-in-cheek. This year had a pretty sparse representation, uh, but the films were much, uh, you know, I said some of them punched you in the throat. Right, so sitting in Echoes, in what happened Miss Simone, and watching her, in some of those scenes for me were just kind of interesting that they were presented to this audience. And that gets to my question of, particularly to Stanley, but to all of you, given the context of what this is, demographically, what purpose does Sundance serve, right? So how does this community serve us, even as it sometimes excludes us in many ways? And what does it open in terms of doors? Um, I, I, again, want to reference the BuzzFeed article that talks about that, uh, that very issue. But Sundance is, is, is the, 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 the most prestigious festival in this country. So it launches your film. It launches your film. You know, you're, you're launching from here, you know, and, and you go from here. I, I think you know, it doesn't preclude. We're, we're, we're the opening night film at Pan-African Film Festival in LA next week. So you know, it, it, this is just you know the launch of the film, but it 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 gives your film a certain cachet and a certain prestige, and and I think it it just adds to to where the film can go after that. That you are at Sundance, so I think that that's that's my reason for for being here, and I love to see a film with an audience. I was really happy to see the reaction of the film with a majority white audience. You know, I can't wait to see the film at the Pan-African Film Festival. <laughs> I think the reaction will be very, very different, you know? But, um, uh, you know, it is a great launching, it's the best launching point for, for a film that I know of, um, and so that's why we're here. You know, and just really quickly, the, the huge thing is that people see it, which gets back to my point of, if you have full representations of people, you give people an opportunity to even challenge their own experiences. And to me, that's very, very valuable. The conversations that happen out of here with people saying, I just didn't know, I'm like, well, maybe I can add to your knowing, you know? Stanley, I, I want to uh, ask you about those 10,000 decisions that get made because the Black Panthers is a topic that's hugely uh, contentious. There, you, you know, people who uh, want to uh, uh, find heroism there, people who want to find demonism there. Uh, you tell a story that, uh, that encompasses all kinds of, uh, of things. And I wonder, um, you know, what the experience was navigating that very tricky train. Lots of, lots of historians, lots of participants have a stake in that story. Something that I think is so skillful about this film is that it's, you know, it's a story that, that doesn't take place in one place. It's a story that takes place in Oakland, Chicago, New York, uh, other parts of the country and you really tie those threads together nicely. But talk about navigating those different stakeholders in the story. Um, I, I think that that was something you know, that we spent a lot of time in, with in the beginning of the film. You know, what are the Panthers gonna think? You know, how can we get the Panthers involved? What, you know, and finally, we had to just say, fuck it. Excuse my language. You know, we're gonna make the film and tell the story that we see here. 
It's not even the story that we want to tell. It's the, st it's the story. We want to tell the story that we see. And, you know, if, if somebody gets mad, they get mad. If somebody, you know, somebody doesn't like it, they don't like it. If some Panthers don't like it, they don't like it, you know. Um, we, we got to print the DVD back uh, a week ago Monday. And Tuesday, I got a letter from an organization of Panthers, an association of Panther alumni, saying, you know, you know, basically, we hear you're going to Sundance with the film, and you haven't showed it to us. What do you got to hide? You know, you know blah, blah, blah. So we said, OK, come to the office. And Wednesday morning, I, when I called and said, come, come now and, and look at the film. You know, and they, five guys came, four, four, four guys and a woman. Uh, came who were all former Panthers and uh, guns or no? I don't know. I <laughs> because they liked the film. That's how I know. <laughs> if they, if they hadn't liked it, no nobody would have known. You know, but but you know they 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 saw the film and and afterwards this big tough guy named Bullwhip actually that's his name was crying sitting there crying you know and they loved the film so you know that 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 was great but you just never know. I mean at some point I think you know you have to like throw out whether you know the people that who 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 even contacted you about making this film are gonna like it you know you got to make the take the story where you take it I just want to say one thing has anybody here seen the Panther film Oh, good. People, people have seen it. So, you know, I mean, one of the big things, in, in, to give you an idea, too, of what, you know, one of the big things for us in a Panther film is that scene where they're in the L.A. shootout, yeah. and Wayne Farr says, I felt free. Yeah. I felt free. That is such a black thing, you know? And we, but, but we try to lead everybody in the audience there so you understand what he's saying. He's in the middle of a shootout with the, with the L.A., with the first SWAT team that was created. And he's, you know, he's about to get killed. And I asked him, how did you feel? He said, I felt free. I was a free Negro. For once in my life, I was making my own rules. And that is, you know, and when we got that, when we saw that interview, we started calling in people from the office and said, look at this. And, and, and we couldn't really even tell, like, why in some way it made the African-American people who saw it, and I don't know what it does for the white folks, but it made our hair stand on end. It was just, he's, the guy is just so amazing. And to be in the middle of a shootout and say, I felt, and they're so, I mean, they're surrounded by SWAT teams and they're trying to blow the place up. And he said, I felt free. That's how I felt. And that was, to, to me, you know, kind of the moment. It, it, it's things like that that I think, you know, are, is really important about telling our own story. He, and, and, and even more, he wouldn't have told, like, like, like Marcia, my wife said, you can tell he's talking to you because he knows what you mean. I mean, you know what he means. You know, he knows. He knows that you understand that. He doesn't have to explain it. I felt free because as a Negro all my life, I've been, you know, he has, I felt free. And so I think that's one of the things. For me, that's important about our, our telling our, our own story. It's that nuance that happens not only in the filmmaking, but in our relationship to the people we're interviewing to the story that we're telling. We have time for a couple more questions. This hand was up first. Uh, We've got a microphone coming to you. I was wondering, at what point do we get beyond, you know, especially from an audience perspective, that this is a black film or this is a white film and that it's just a great story and that the storytelling is why you go to the film and see it, not because it represents a black community or a white community. Because I think, you know, you talk about financing. That's also, I think, something that comes into that conversation. Who's going to see it? And is there a demographic that's going to show up and watch the film? So if we're only going to make it a black film, is that more difficult to get an audience? You know, it just, it, and a, 
you know, for me, I don't think there's anything such as a black film. We're talking more about who's making the film. No, no, I'm but, not making. I'm not making a film. White people have seen the film. It's not. It's not a. It's not a film that is not accessible to 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 white people. It's a film that's very. All my films, I think, are very accessible to white films. That's not the issue. You know, I mean, I think it'll be in a black film or a white film when we don't have a country that is racist. Yeah. No, 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 I completely then. agree. No, I completely, that, and that's my point, is when is it just a great film, not told by a black director, white director, it's just a great film and a great story. I think when it's and that's a great a, film, it's a great film. I think that, I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, right? It's, that's when it's a great film. Yeah. yeah. When it's a great film. <laughs> But I always think I, it's through. I think there's somehow again, through the filter. Again, 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 I hope people don't say, you know, they see, you know, uh, uh, the black band and say that's a great black film. I hope they don't see, no, you know, Nina Simone say that's a great white film. Black. I don't know why. You know, I, I don't. I don't. I, that's not what. That's not what we're talking about. I think. You know. I mean, yeah, it's a know, great it's film. It's like you know when you see it, right? It's like you know when you see it. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was the definition of pornography. Okay. Well, I'm bringing it in because it's relevant to this, right? Uh, okay, uh, we got a uh, hand up here. Bring her a microphone. Um, I guess it, uh, I'm part of a movement to make a revolution in this country, and uh, I did actually try to get the audience chanting Black Lives Matter after this. And it happened. No, they no, didn't. No, it did. I, I was chanting. Oh, I was, was chanting. Black Lives Matter. She's really loud. Because, you know, because I was very cognizant of the audience, and it was so visceral. The, the, after that film, you were just so fucking mad that, that black lives still don't matter in this country. And I guess I, I, the thing I wanted to ask is, um, I don't think you can have the discussion, the discussion about the sort of cultural um, situation y'all are describing, I don't know the word for it, um, apartheid or whatever, is so inextricably linked to the oppression of black people and brown people built into the fabric of this system and, and a genocide that's happening police murder every 28 hours, you know, you go on and on. So how do you guys see the struggle against that, against the actual, live, you know, which is very connected to then the struggle in the cultural spheres? You know, and I do think part of it, too, is the radical spirit with which Liz comes out of that gives then, the, the no, not shying away from the very radical spirit of Nina Simone. So You know, I'm making a film about um, abortion, about abortion clinics in the South. And um, one of the things that is so clear to me that is actually as much a driving force as women's rights is the fact that the real people being impacted by the closure of clinics are low-income women of color. And you do not see that woman as the face of the abortion debate. And so that is extremely important to me. So I think one of the things that happens based on your experience is you seek to put us in those stories and to make sure that we are a part of that conversation and not wiped out of it. And I think that that is also part of changing the structure, is, having, is being seen. And I think it's important for all of us that, that black people are seen in the full experience. So <clears throat> I'm gonna put one more question uh, to the panel, but uh, before we wrap up, I wanna remind you, if you wanna know more about Doc Club, um, and uh, we've, as I said, we've got films by Stanley Nelson coming up uh, next month. We've got a lot of uh, great films. You can go over to the desk over there. They'll sign you up for a free 30-day trial that you can cancel at any time. Uh, but so <clears throat> the, um, I know it sounds a little pitchy, but. <laughs> That's what they told me to say. <clears throat> uh, uh, so. Uh, I want to uh, take, for my last question, I want to um, 
kind of, uh, hear from you. Who are the who are the black filmmakers and the black stories being told right now? Maybe um, you know uh, up and coming filmmakers or projects that are in the works. Like, let's use this opportunity to to uh, to tell the audience where to to go looking for uh, for other great work. I mean, I'll start with Darius Clark Monroe. Um, I think um, his his film is is beautiful, but also um, Bradford. Uh, that, that film is called Evolution of a Criminal. Evolution of a Criminal, um, but also Bradford Young. So you know the cinematographer. So I mean, I've reached out to him on a mass incarceration film because it's really important that it be beautiful, and he knows how to shoot black people, and so and I think also. I'm interested in a conversation about what it means to be black today in an age of mass incarceration, and I don't have to explain that to him. <laughs> so. I'll give a shout out to my DP, Tony Hardman, who's also a filmmaker in his own right. He made um, an incredibly beautiful film and, um, that was uh, shortlisted for the Oscar about two years ago, maybe. Um, and he's, you know, he shoots to make a living, but he's well, also- What was that film? Uh, tell, remind me the name. It was the, the court case that, do you remember? The yeah, you know the name of the movie. Oh, Camp Yeah, yeah, but that... Semper Fi. Right, exactly, yeah. So he's a DP, but he's also a director Amazing and a filmmaker, film. and, you know, he needs that structural support that all these guys are talking about in order to continue making films as a director. And similarly, I'll shout out Ramel Ross, who was a, um, he was a... He got the Sundance Institute Documentary Film Program grant this time. He is making a film called Hale County. Um, he also got the Garrett Scott Documentary Development Grant, which Tom Powers is behind. Um, fortunately, Tara was supported by that project. I mean, excuse me, by that grant. But it's a film about two African-Americans growing up in rural Alabama. And he has been fully living on the ground. He's shooting it. He's editing it. He's very, very close to these young men. So I think that's a critical perspective in this age of where black males are being you know, shot down by police. It's a national you know, crisis. And I think that's a very important story coming from a very important voice. Stanley, give you the last word. Some of the people coming out of Firelight. Yeah, we, we've got a bunch of people coming out of the Producers Lab. Again, Lloyd is here. She can talk to you about the Producers Lab. Uh, Melissa Hazlip is in the room. Raise your hand. Shooting a film called Mr. Soul coming out of the lab. Uh, Carol Bash just finished her film on Mary Lou Williams. Anybody else I should... All these guys, but you know, we have we have uh, we have By Byron Hurd, By Byron Hurd. We have uh, a, a number of films, um, uh, right? Jason De Silva. Uh, these are people who have finished their films. Um, Family Affair, which was here a couple of years ago, came out of the lab. Um, so we have a, a lot of people, and then we have just have a we have a lot of new, a new contingent in the lab. But again, the lab is for filmmakers of color. So uh, right now we've got a lot of Asian filmmakers. Uh, a lot of, bunch of Latino filmmakers, a Hawaiian filmmaker, a couple of black filmmakers. We're always looking for new filmmakers. Talk to Lloyd. It, it's a rotating. Uh, you can apply anytime. And what we do is we provide mentorship um, to get your film done in, in, in your way and get it on TV and hopefully help launch your career, uh, you know, and push your career further. But also, you know, hopefully you're going to hire some people of color. You know, you'll hire an editor. You'll hire, uh, you know, a camera person. Uh, and, and all help all those people's career, and, and this thing will keep moving, and we'll get more more people of color in the industry. Yeah, but, but before we end, Tom, I just want to thank you for doing this panel. Um, yeah, it's, it's very brave. Um, if you don't know, uh, the joke in our town is that Tom is black because he is constantly inserting this question, um, which I'm very grateful for because sometimes it's tiring to be the one talking about it. So I can, you know. I'm grateful for you for providing an opportunity to have this conversation, which I know will continue while we're here. Well, our next panel is Wednesday at noon, uh, documenting celebrities. Thanks very much for coming. Thanks especially to our panelists. Thank, Thank you, you Tom. <laughs>